0: good morning welcome home family it's so great to see everyone we are going to bring to a close our advent series today as talking about christmas hope the hope we have during the season we've talked about the hope of pardon about how jesus was sent to us so that he could pardon us from our sins we've talked about the hope of peace about the peace we have because he creates peace with us in god and how that transcends into our life now we've talked about the hope of um Restoration that He's restoring us to who we were supposed to be, and today actually we're going to be talking about the hope of glory. Uh, maybe something we don't think about—the hope that we have in Christ—and so we'll be in Luke chapter one, uh, starting in verse twenty-six. When we get to that, and so you can turn to your Bibles. If you want to prepare? It'll be on the screens. If you want to look at paper Bible, but you don't Bible, but you don't have one in front of you under the seat, is one, and you'll find it on page one hundred three if you want to look at that. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father, thank you so much for this time when we can gather together and praise your holy name, when we can gather as your people, when we can gather and celebrate during this season especially to reflect and to uh, be in wonder at you sending your Son for us. Lord, I pray that we can Look at your word and see you anew. See this story that we've heard maybe many times in a new way, or you bring it to our minds and our hearts in a way that moves us to love you more, to wonder at your grace. Sick at home or traveling, I just pray for them during the season to reflect upon Christ. As we have just sung, may we magnify your son. And Lord, I just pray for this time, may we focus on you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't do my normal spiel about if you have kids in here because we are doing the kids service, don't worry. And then my child cried and reminded me, uh, don't worry. If there's noise from kids, that's great. We love to hear it. Don't feel self-conscious. It's a great thing uh, for the church to have everyone together. And we do that on every fifth Sunday, but also every time we kind of have a special service or a special time, it's good to gather the whole family together and praise and sit together under the word. And so... Take a deep breath. I can speak to my wife too about that. It's okay. <laughs> um, all right, let's go, go to the Word. So, the whole of creation proclaims God's glory. The, the Bible is clear again and again that we see God's glory, which we could define as His active presence or his visible presence in creation is proclaiming it. We see his fingerprints upon the whole world. We see it at uh, special times coming in more profound ways when we think about Moses meeting with God or going up to the mountain in the Shekinah glory of God descending upon the mountain or God, it's his majesty, it's his power. We see it all around us, but we see also these special times. This is our God, the creator of all there is. He is a glorious God. He shares his glory with no one else. There is no one like him, nor could there be anyone like him. This is our God, and we praise him for it. But the amazing thing about this glorious God is that from the beginning when he created, he had a plan that he actually was going to share in some sense his glory with his creation for he made humanity, male and female, he made them to reflect his glory. That he created a whole cosmos and he set up man as his viceroys over his creation and they were to reflect who he was over all the world. But maybe unsurprisingly, man was not content just to reflect glory, but wanted it for himself. So Adam and Eve rebelled. They disobeyed God. They wanted to be their own gods. As, the, as Satan tempted them, he tempted them with that promise that you could be just like God. And so they disobeyed. They chose to grab and grasp that glory for themselves. But God... And then here's where we get the glorious gospel. But God was not in the redemption plan to bring them back, bring them back into his good graces, bring them back into his family, and bring them actually back into a place where they do now share again in his glory. And he does that through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And we get senses of this gloriousness that comes from this event when we look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 uh, through 38. A story we've heard a lot of times, a story we've already actually read this season about how Jesus' birth was foretold to Mary by the angel Gabriel. So if you have Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 26 to 38, and it'll be all on the screen behind me as well. It says this In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the most holy will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has, conceived, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's a well-known story, but what are we supposed to see uh, from this? And I would just offer this when we're focusing on glory, is that Jesus is our glory. That since Adam and Eve rebelled, humanity has always been looking for glory or honor or kind of a known Somewhere else making a name for themselves. And this reminds us to quit looking elsewhere and look back to Him, for it's in Christ and Christ alone who where we receive or see or partake in the glory of God. Jesus is our glory. This is this great promise of glory in the whole story of the Bible and the whole story of how God's redeeming his people. When we think about the promise of uh uh Of glory, we can almost read it on almost every page of the Bible. We see how prophets spoke about this, how God's glory will come down and kind of cover the whole earth. We can read it in books like Habakkuk, which I know you love the book of Habakkuk. And so you go to Habakkuk 2, chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And how we see the prophets take this promise of glory and kind of focus it down on the coming Messiah and how this was going to be a messianic event when the glory of God was going to be made known. We see it in Isaiah these verses that we quote so often around this time about how a promised child was going to come and it's going to be the glory of God in the flesh. And we see this promise heightening until we get to these, these words from the angel to Mary and we see this great promise of Glory. Just think of how glorious this statement is to young Mary. You will have a child and he will be called great. You will have a child and he will be the son of the most high. You can, be, you can see these great promises that this is actually the promised son that has been promised from the beginning. That this is what Mary will receive, this promised child, this great child, the son of the Most High. He'll sit on David's throne. And Mary was a good Jewish girl and she knew the great promises that when you read the Old Testament, you see all these great promises after seven. We see how he changes it and shifts it and say that promised son is going to be a descendant of David who's going to sit on David's throne. And you can hear Mary listening to this and receiving this thing. This is the promised king we've been waiting for. How glorious is this? This promised child to sit on David's throne. Not only that, but he'll reign forever. This is not some temporary kingdom that is, comes and goes. This is a kingdom will, that will last forever. And then later that he'll be called son. I mean, be called holy son of God. That this child was not just that promised child, but this child was something different, conceived of the Holy Spirit. Actually, God himself taking on human flesh. How glorious announcement is this? And then when we think of the other test, other scriptures that we read so often during this time, later in Luke, in Luke chapter 2, when they go to Bethlehem and who actually shows up and announces to the shepherds but a choir of angels declaring glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom, with whom he is pleased. This glorious announcement. And you think in, in Matthew chapter 2 when the wise men come from the east, these very rich, wise people come and they bow down to this young child of Jesus and we see Jesus and what it means. But right there in the mix with all these great promises of the glorious of who Jesus is, we get some things that don't seem to match up with that. We get some things that we wouldn't probably say are glorious at all for the birth of, our, of the Messiah, the one who's going to save us. We get the fact that he was born in a stable, in a manger, placed there, because there, there was no place probably in the family uh, that they were staying with to be in the main house. There's these low settings of his birth that doesn't seem glorious. We get the fact that actually they had to flee Probably when he was around two years old, Joseph had to grab young uh, Jesus and Mary and flee to Egypt because Herod was killing off all the two-year-olds and youngers because he had heard the Messiah was born, the king was born, and he's like, not on my watch. And so Jesus grew up for a little bit as a refugee in Egypt. That does not seem glorious. Then he returns to Nazareth, Nazareth, that was not a well-known town or thriving metropolis, to live a quiet life life of 30 years being a tradesman working under his father a teacher a rabbi who really was not met with great acclaim. He gathered some clouds, but he had no place to lay his, his head. He had no home to call his own. It doesn't seem that glorious. And then he goes to a depth that he did not deserve, falsely accused of things he never did. And then when you think about the whole story of, of this all, the biggest thing that does not add up to a glorious event is the fact that this was God in the flesh, That the second person of Trinity chose to come down and live as one of us, but not in a palace, not reigning from the get-go, not bringing victorious armies marching across his land, not waving a banner to conquer all, but he came as a helpless babe born in a manger. That God condescended in a way that defies what we expect when we think of all the glorious promises given to us about who Jesus is. That this is a story that God operates in ways we don't expect. And his gloriousness is sometimes hidden in the mundane. But we know that if you know the story of Jesus, he didn't stay unknown or he didn't stay in this humble condition. But Jesus actually returned to glory. We see how he resurrected from life, proving that he was truly. We actually was taken bodily up into heaven. Then we see and know that he now reigns on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, reigning as the Lord of the cosmos. And so he returns to this glory. It's a thing we need to remember how he returns there, and that's truly who he is. And one of the great things I love about the Bible is that actually before Jesus, it gave us this pattern that we could see this is how God operates. To show how glorious God is, to show that he is doing it and no one else is doing it, to show that he gets all the glory. And so we get this messianic trajectory that we see again and again through the scriptures. We see stories like Joseph, who was the favored son of, of, um, of Jacob, and how he was probably going to get a bigger portion. He was going to be kind of ruling over his brothers, and his brothers brought him low as they sold him into slavery and convinced Jacob that he was killed by a wild beast, how he lived as a slave in Egypt, but then he rises to the ranks of ruler in Egypt, only under Pharaoh. And so we see this trajectory of being high, brought low, and then going even higher than, it, than you were before. We see these stories again and again through scriptures. You can think of King David, how he was anointed as king, he was going to be king, and he served with Saul, and they wrote songs about him. They said, hey, Saul killed a couple thousand, but King David, or David, he kills tens of thousands, which causes jealousy in Saul, so David has to flee. He's brought Lee, a king in Israel, as he, he, he claims his throne. We see it in the book of Job, a rich man with all that he could possibly could imagine, and he's brought low because he was righteous. At the, how the book ends is that he has more than he had at the beginning. He receives it all back from God tenfold. And so we see this trajectory happen again. And the Bible is teaching us to preparing God's people to expect this is how God operates. So much so that they should have expected the Messiah to come in the same manner which is why Paul can write in Philippians 2 about how who, God, who Jesus is, about how he was God. He did not consider equality with God, equal, like being equal with God something to be grasped because that's who he is, but condescended and lowered himself, taking on the, firm, the, the form of a servant, even to the point of death. But it doesn't end there. Then he's exalted so that all tongues, whether in heaven or on earth or below, are going to praise him and glorify him as the king of the cosmos as the glorious king. And we see that be true. And so we see how God works, how he brings glory out of so many situations that don't seem glorious. That he takes normal life and he brings this glory out of it. And he uses it to show who he is. is That humans, you and me, continue to look for our own glory. We continue to want to make a name for ourselves. We continue want to to get glory just for ourselves and be who 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 we think we should be. The reformer Martin Luther described that this kind of as the idea that you can follow kind of two. Uh, uh, theology the theology of glory or the theology of the cross this idea is that humanity naturally wants to follow this idea of theology of glory meaning that we look for success we look for bigness we we think that because god's on our side or we say god's on our side we get everything we want nothing harms us nothing goes wrong and so we think it's going to be by our strength by our work by our power that we're going to kind of usher in this greatness for us this is a theology from of glory But Martin Luther points out, but when you look at how God works and operates, what does he send his son do? He sends his son to operate by the theology of the cross, living that humble life, living the life we could not do righteously before God, leading to the cross where he gave his life for his people. And then when you think about we are called to follow Christ, we're called to follow Christ not just in how we operate in this world, but we're called to follow Christ even when we think about how we think about glory, that we follow him, looking to Christ, operating like he has called us, following him, counting ourselves, solely sold out, given to him in our life. And that's what believers are called to do when they look upon who Christ is. They know him. They know that in Jesus we receive whatever glory we need. Jesus is our glory. But the amazing thing is that God shares his glory with his people. We see Verses after verses that show this to be true, that he has his plan, not just to give, leave us as servants, not just to leave us here, but actually to bring us into his family, adopt us and give his, us his royal name, bring us so that actually we partake in who he is and we can, are conformed to the image of his son and we become glorious like his son is. We can look at it again and again. We can see verses like Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 where it says, when Christ, who is our life, appears then we also will appear with him in glory. That we wait for this and expect it, that he has a plan for us that goes beyond this life and that we'll be glorious in him and with him. I love how Romans 8 talks about this, Romans 8, 29 through 30, talking about how we are saved, how we come to know who Christ is and what awaits us. He says, for those whom our destiny be conformed to the image of the Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I love this because we read this, and as Christians, we can find where we are on this, on this like line, this golden chain of salvation. That we, if, we, if you believe, you have been called. If you, have been, if you believe, you have been justified. And so now we wait with expectancy to be glorified. Because when we read this, and I love it, Paul mentions this, this as it's already happened. He says, "This past tense, we've also been glorified. And we look around and say, no, I haven't. This is not that glorious. But I love it because of what this is called, the divine passive, that Paul can speak as this is already done, because God says it's going to happen, so we know it will happen. And so we can take faith in that those who he called, he justified. Yes, and those he justified, he also will glorify and will be glorious with him forever. It's the same thing that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, when he says, and we all with unveiled face beholden to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God loves us so much that he plans a salvation for us that not only saves us from our sins, not only brings us peace with him, not only brings us to be restored to where Adam and Eve were in the garden, could walk and talk with him, but he brings us into his royal family and he shares his glory with us so we will be glorious like his son as we're conformed to the image of his son. And so we hope for glory in Christ. We look for glory in Christ, not in anything else. That God saves through the humblest of stories, but He also brings the most glorious events through the most humble of stories as well. And so we hope in the glory of Christ. That we take this and we hope in this and we rest in it. Because what this means is that we do we no longer have to do the rat race to somehow make a name for ourselves. We no longer have to get on that treadmill and try to achieve and achieve and think that somehow we're going to make a glorious name for ourselves and God's going to be happy with us because of what we've done. We no longer have to work our fingers to the bones thinking that somehow God is displeased with us and we're going to work our ways back into his good graces. What this means is that we can actually hope and bring us and give us his glory and we can trust in those things which means when we come to uh, Christmas season, when we think about all the hope that it brings, the hope of pardon from sins, the hope of peace with God, the hope of being restored to how we were made to be, we also hope in this glory that God shares with us. We hope and rest in this fact that he loves us so much that he is bringing us into his family, bringing us to share with what Christ has given us. So this Christmas season, this Christmas Eve today, as we reflect upon what it means, what we're celebrating, let's not just see the events maybe we, as we always see them, but let's also see the gloriousness of God and how he works through the human circumstances of this life. And let us honor him and worship him. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word that we can read it and we can know it. We can see your gloriousness in it and how you move in so amazing ways, how we can trust in the glory that you've given us through your son, that this is a reflected glory that we have not achieved in our own. It's an alien glory. It's not from our own doing, but actually it's something that you have given to us through your son as we pray for this season. I pray for this church as we reflect on who you are and we reflect on this time of season and that we can remember this and celebrate it, that we can remember this is why we gather, why we have these traditions that have been birthed at this time, to reflect on the giving of your Son. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.